So ultimately, I think the in terms of cash, the fp forecast is a planning tool where the treasury forecast is an execution tool. Welcome to Actualizing Success. In this podcast series, our in-house advisors discuss today's finance and technology topics with an emphasis on solutions that embrace tomorrow. Welcome to the Actualized Cash Forecasting Podcast. I'm with my colleagues. Um, this is Priscilla Nagali. I'm with Michelle Dudar and Brian Stett. Today, we're going to be talking about cash forecasting, which is interesting, right? I don't know of a treasury group that does not do cash forecasting, but yet almost all of the ones that I know, all of the ones that I know do struggle with it. So especially now in the current uh, economic environment uh, where forces are pulling in different directions, it's very important to get a better hold, understanding of your cash most important, uh, how what is the duration of it and how, for how long you're going to have it. So we're going to talk about, about all those good stuff. So, Michelle, what is common market prices for forecasting when it comes forecasting to mind? Well, I think that there's two uh, different types of forecasts that are generated in the corporation. We've got the very long-term, very high-level uh, forecast that's created by the FP&A group. And that's used for setting budgets and uh, board approval. And then we have a very detailed forecast uh, in the Treasury Group, which is really being used on a daily basis to monitor cash in bank accounts. And as you mentioned, Priscilla, um, as the economy changes and, and particularly as the interest rates continue to rise, Treasury Groups are being tasked with uh, using cash as efficiently as possible. And so having excess cash in bank accounts is expensive and not wanted. So I feel like the treasury forecasting process is becoming more and more critical as, as the interest rates go higher and higher. Yeah. So also also the sometimes there is that disconnect right between between FPNA and Treasury. I think that happens with several companies and uh, how they connect at the end uh and or how do they overlap? What are your thoughts there, Michelle? Well, as I mentioned, the FP&A and Treasury forecasts uh, serve very different uh, purposes and they have very different audiences. And, and because of that, they have very different approaches in terms of their timing, what they focus on and what's considered a material amount. Uh, the FP&A, uh, that, that forecast is very much a forward view. It's done at a very high level and for a longer term, typically, you know, the budget circle, the budget cycle, um, plus a number of years, it's created in months and years. And it's often done just at a corporate level. There is no concern given to which division or uh, region is generating cash or spending cash. It's, it, it all just nets out on the bottom line. Because the FP&A forecast is used for to set the budget, this is where lots of the what-if analysis is done. Lots of the scenarios are run. This is where stretch goals are done. Quite often, uh, companies are targeting uh, earnings per share. And so the FP&A forecast is where we use different line items are being uh, manipulated to see what has to happen or what needs to happen in, in the organization in order to get to the to the earnings share or the earnings per share number. The t- forecasts are typically done in very big round numbers, quite often in millions. FP&A forecast is often uh, used as the budget that's approved by the board of directors. And in the event of a public company, those numbers are communicated to the street and to the investors. So 
a very, very different audience. When you think about the treasury, they have very detailed forecasts. They're looking at yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, Their forecasts tend to be very good for the next month or couple of months, but for the very short term. And then they get to be more general as time goes on. It's important to the treasury group that they know exactly where cash is uh, located globally. And so they create forecasts for regions by cash pools and even in some instances by individual bank accounts. They look at those and they reconcile what happened yesterday and then they determine they're going to put into their forecast to fine tune what's going to happen today and tomorrow. The materiality threshold in treasury is much lower. Um, you know, a large corporation may have uh, a threshold of a million dollars a day. And as a result, things like daily cash swings uh, from things like check clearings, unexpected receipts, or margin calls are significant and important to the Treasury group. And they need to be sorted out uh, what happened, why, and uh, what they're going to do with the variance on a go-forward basis. Whereas the FP&A forecast would probably, this would just be all blurred together and smoothed out over the course of the month. The thing that's interesting, though, Priscilla, is the FP&A and Treasury forecast, while they're very different, uh, the FP&A forecast often forms the base of the Treasury forecast. And then the Treasury actuals update the FP&A forecast and then the budget expectations. So ultimately, I think the in terms of cash, the FP&A forecast is a planning tool where the Treasury forecast is an execution tool. Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting angle, Michelle. Thank you. And and from um, what are the challenges, right? Like I think we you describe really well the purposes and the uses and um, you know what what we are seeing, but what are the challenges that we see across our client base? And um, obviously, you had a, a great career in treasury too. Um, if you don't mind sharing, sure. I think um, treasury has a couple of big uh, challenges. Uh, it's challenged with collecting information from different uh, sources and then getting it into a format that it can use. So as I just mentioned, uh, Treasury needs a way to take the information from that high level, broad stroke FP&A forecast and build it into a detailed daily Treasury forecast. And in some cases, that's very easy. Line items like debt and interest payments are, we know what day it's going to happen. We know what bank account it's going to get paid out of. And so it's very easy to have the line item from FP&A translate nicely over to the uh, treasury forecast. Other line items like uh, CapEx or vendor payments don't translate as easily. There'll be one number in the FP&A forecast, but to treasury, it's important to know what the shape of that spending is and what bank accounts um, it's going to impact so that treasury can fund them as required. On a more granular basis, Treasury needs also a way to gather information from the business units um, and the regions and use that information to populate its forecast. And in decentralized organizations, it has its own challenges. You have different teams are reporting uh, different uh, different forecast categories, different time horizons, Uh, They may even have different goals. How they prepare their forecast and send it into the uh, treasury group may be different for each of the regions. And then there's the intercompany transactions that happen that need to be somehow sorted out at the treasury level so that we're not double counting or missing any of the transactions. And even in a centralized organizations, each department or business unit has different templates or line items. It becomes a challenge as we try to get all of those information sources into the treasury forecast in a timely basis. And and uh, like I said, without duplicating effort, 
I think the, the weirdest thing about uh, the forecast is uh, Treasury, the holder of the purse, is often the last to know of material transactions. And so while many uh, organizations are doing, or many parts of the organization are doing significant dollar transactions, they don't necessarily understand or appreciate the treasury process or timelines. And as I said, now that uh, the cost of borrowing is increasing and treasury is being tasked with using cash efficiently, it's very important to know when a company should be uh, borrowing or investing its cash. Uh, some banks require two days notice and documentation to get a borrowing. Uh, without that information, in, the uh, borrowing becomes even more expensive. And even if cash is received uh, without notice, it's it's not really a nice problem to have because Treasury is either looking for some way to pay down that debt, which requires, again, notice, or in some instances, the most expensive debt that the organization has can't even be repaid uh, easily. So in the event that cash does or doesn't move, uh, Treasury needs to figure out how long it's going to be in that situation and what to do about it. So information tends to be, if I hear right, the information tends to be the challenge and communication and coordination. One thing that I, I mean, I think obviously we, we raised a lot of questions there and, and, and challenges and I, I, our, our work as consultants, right? Like, how do we address that? Um, maybe, Brian, if you don't mind uh, helping the audience shed some light on how do you improve that situation? How do you address those challenges that we see with, with our clients? I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of the path to improving the, the cash forecasting, you know, lies in, in questioning the status quo. You know, if, the, the process that you have today, you know, why is it that you're really, um, that you're kind of doing what you're doing? Or does your process align with the goals of the, the forecasting that um, the Treasury is tasked with? How are you leveraging technology? Um, what are you doing to analyze the forecast to, to improve it? And, uh, and how, you know, have standardized the process? So, you know, from a, from a data perspective, you know, I think a, a good way to improve the forecast is to, you know, confirm that the, you know, the, the presentation of your forecast is aligning with, uh, you know, aligning with the intent. If uh, we see a lot of cases where, you know, teams are producing, spending a lot of time producing reporting at, you know, very detailed levels that management isn't even looking to. So it's good to ask the question, um, you know, from an improvement at a, a time perspective, uh, is there any is there any reporting or are there any tasks that you're performing related to forecasting that um, you know that can be phased out? I think the the key too is in in organizing the data, making sure that the you know that you're really answering the those key questions of you know do you depending on your your business do you have the you know the cash available to invest you know to some sort of kind of term investment over the next sixty days? Do you have the the cash needed to you know, to make a scheduled debt pay down. Um, and that, that really, I think, starts with kind of organizing the, the data and understanding the, the goals. The, um, you know, the next piece is really kind of, you know, understanding that, you know, technology is, is your friend um, and to, you know, analyze the, really the available sources of, of how you get the data into your forecast and, you know, identify if there are better ways to obtain the data. Um, often the, you know, ERPs are able to provide feeds of AP and AR information uh, into a treasury management system. And 
treasury management systems have tools embedded within them to help develop the forecast. So where, you know, uh, from a forecast quality perspective, where there are gaps in information, uh, you know, treasury can be empowered to you know, help produce that forecast and fill in some of those gaps. You know, one of those, one of the ways that you know, team members at treasury can use uh, or, you know, can help fill in some of the gaps of forecasting is uh, where there is missing information to use actuals or historical information to help determine the forecast. So, to, you know, depending on your industry, whether generally your uh, industry is more mature or less mature, there there may be elements of your forecast that, you know, that do behave pretty consistently period over period. Um, you know, if it's something like payroll or rent that are more stable over time. So kind of identifying what, what parts of your forecast, uh, you know, can behave in a manner consistent with historical activity or historical activity, you know, plus or minus a certain percent, um, you know, that can really help improve the accuracy as well. Like I mentioned, the a TMS usually has a tool that can help support that versus trying to accomplish that manually. From a, you know, from a, an ERP perspective, I mentioned that, you know, you can, you can take in AP and AR information as part of your forecast. And oftentimes, you know, that information may be good for, uh, you know, a few weeks to, you know, 60 days uh, kind of on the long end and really kind of understanding, you know, what, what information you have available in your ERP and, and how good that is kind of out into what, what time horizon, you know, that can really help answer the question of whether, you know, an integration uh, or an interface into your forecast is something that, you know, that would improve the positioning. Uh, because went from a, especially from a short term, having real expectations of payment runs can be, you know, really useful in, you know, determining how how close to your your cash buffer you'll be getting. And then I, I think another piece for technology as well is just, you know, overall thinking about how can you reevaluate or eliminate, you know, manual work. Um, you know, think about the time that you're spending either entering or manipulating data manually. You know, do you still need to do this? Is there a more automated way if, if you are gathering information from multiple teams? Is there a more automated way people can submit information um, or you know, perform some self-service into loading those into systems? Because uh, I, I see a lot of teams as well uh, spending you know, a good portion of their, their process reaching out to regional teams, gathering templates, compiling them, and then loading into a system. Whereas there's, there's a lot of technology solutions that can help I'll resolve that as well. Yeah, and and I would even add to that what I what I've seen in in the marketplace is that the historically the whole forecasting process is like gathering data from a number of different places, right? So, but mature companies that have been in business and established and history of those actual cash flows should be a good indication. Also, any amortization uh, forecasted on, on the debt and things like that. So I think there are ways for Treasury to become less dependent mm -hmm. and a bit more self-sufficient, but on, on a shorter period of time, right? So there is, um, I think I, I, I'm still advocating that um, Treasury and FNA should talk, uh, even though sometimes they don't, but um I think at the end of the day, Treasury has a very good idea on how cash moves, for the most part, through analysis, become a bit more self-sufficient than, you know, having to go to so many different places to gather data. And we've seen, we've successfully uh, seen this working for a number of uh, of companies when they're 
looking more at the latest technologies, looking at AI, looking at um, just looking at history and projecting to the future that having even a better accuracy than than a lot of time so also I, I mean since i have you on what what would be the methodologies right to uh, to adopt i think we talked about technology we think we talked about variance analysis which is again like so important but not everybody does it properly what is the right methodology and how they can enhance what they're currently doing, or even if they're looking to scratch and start over, uh, if you can provide some uh, guidelines on the methodology, please. Sure. Yeah, I think you know whether whether a team is just you know, getting started or looking to improve, revamp an existing process. Um, you know, overall, we recommend a methodology that begins with a forecast diagnostic, that then feeds into building a roadmap. And kind of what we're meaning there is. The uh, diagnostic is basically an exploration and an assessment of your current state, where um, you know we find the forecasting process can be complex and involves you know quite a few different different teams, and so prior to making any changes to that process, it's really important to build a shared understanding across the organization of you know what is happening today and what are the goals of the the forecast analysis. And to to go a bit a bit deeper into the kind of the diagnostic, this is where we you know clearly. We want to get a good picture of the current state. One of the first steps there would be to kind of come up with a, a visual mapping of actuals and forecast data, where, where the data is coming from and who owns that information. Uh, why that's important is it, it really serves as a starting point to, you know, that you can use to amend if you identify, you know, a, an opportunity to, uh, for, you know, for a methodology change. It kind of puts all in one place how much of your forecast is coming um, is being you know entered or gathered manually? How much is coming you know systematically? And are there and it helps kind of identify are there differences from department to department, you know region to region? Um, so it's kind of that first platform. The next mapping would be kind of creating a, a visual of you know the an understanding across the team, the kind of the process of you know gathering actuals, uh, forecast information. And the in the variance analysis, you know, once we kind of have those two pieces together, what you know, we take that as in part of that diagnostic to understand, you know, how are you how are you getting the data, uh, especially where are the handoffs in the process, and how long does it take? Because uh, one of the one of the kind of key tripping points that we see with teams is, you know, they might they might have kind of a robust you know forecast process, but if a you know forecast takes a cash forecast takes half a month to get together that really makes it tough to to action real time in a meaningful way so we you know we really try to build a kind of a shared uh, kind of a shared vision or understanding of what's happening today and then the the next piece in the diagnostic is to make an assessment of of where where you would stand at a you know at the current in the current day with a scorecard and that's basically identifying you know across the actuals the forecasting variance analysis um, you know what are the opportunities for improvement um, in a way where you know you can define what um you know, not just what kind of what needs fixing but what um, kind of how you can get there as well. And so, like some examples, I think we talked about in, in the challenges a bit. And the you know for the for, for actual data, do you have the visibility that you need to support an effective variance analysis? Um, there's a you know there, there's a lot of cases where teams may be you know, producing a forecast across the organization, but they may not, they either may spend a huge amount of time 
gathering actual information from bank portals, or they may be be missing you know key key components. Um, on the forecasting side, mostly from a methodology perspective, are are all regions using the same uh, using the same approach? Do they are the are they taking the you know, the same goals as part of the forecast? You know, what we see a lot of times as well is whether it's from uh, you know from acquisitions or from you know different interdepartmental or interdepartmental goals that the you know the level of detail, the time horizon, the format of forecast across teams differ, and then it falls on Treasury to try to consolidate and normalize those. And then kind of next, just thinking about you know, the variance analysis, you know, one of, one of the biggest opportunities that we see there is, you know, do you have, is there an automated method to perform variance, variance analysis? Meaning that is there kind of a clear tie between the, the actual data and the corresponding forecast? And so really when we when we try to pull together this forecast diagnostic, it's it's a picture of what's happening today, but also kind of that that starting point of, you know, here's what here's what you can do next and some of the actions that, that you can take to improve as well. And you know, as we as you can imagine, peeling back the onion of the current process can, you know, kind of uncover more than you expected when you first start off in that journey. Uh, and so it's it's really helpful to kind of have a more kind of a formalized, formalized view of you know, across the team and across the actuals and forecast process where where you can grow. Uh, but, you know, I think a big question would be what to do with that information. So the the second phase of the methodology is the forecast roadmap. So how do you how do you take that assessment and actually, you know, realize the improvement? And that that kind of realization of the improvement, it really begins with defining, well, where do you want to go next? So we've, you know, we have a clear vision of the current state. Uh, so we would want to, you would want to map out how the process will change. So by creating a visual there, you can kind of compare to the current state and help you know build that understanding of what's changing um, internally across the team. And that can be really important to help folks visualize if there is a change in uh, you know in ownership, ownership for a process, changes in handoffs. You know where there's especially when interdepartmental communication is involved, there's a a lot of opportunity for you know for breakdown. So it's really important to highlight what's going to differ. Um, from a process side, and the uh, and really the same as well from the data side. We uh, one of the bigger pieces from uh, where we want to map out the kind of how data sourcing will change will be if there is any additional technology you'll be leveraging, any you know, new integrations into your treasury management system or or otherwise. Because then we you know it really helps identify are there resources outside of the treasury team that are needed to accomplish this. Then you know really once we have kind of the ideal future state measured. I, Kind of an important step as well would be to define well how are we going to measure success basically in defining the the KPIs uh, we need to know you know what will be the the goals of the process and uh, you know some examples there would be how it's part of the forecast rationalization you know delivering an updated 13 week forecast say within five days targeting a goal that the forecast is 75 percent automated reaching a variance within you know, an acceptable range. Again, that, that really depends on depends on the industry and the maturity of the company. Or, uh, you know, another goal could be to reduce the idle cash or the the cash buffer by you know x x amount. Having a key set of goals and you know methods to measure it it really helps kind of drive the the energy behind the forecast process as well. Thank you, Brian. This this gives us a good view on like what would be the methodology. Michelle, do you have any any other points like when people think about I'm gonna optimize 
what I'm doing now and this is how I'm going to start. I do have a couple of quick ideas. I mean, I do think that uh, there is some low-hanging fruit when we think about um, making the treasury forecasting process simpler. I think first, if we can figure out a way to standardize methodology um, by the use of templates and line items, uh, the way that company or the way that different business units send in their forecasts, I think that would go a long way. As Brian mentioned, where we can automate what we can, that's a huge time saver. And the great thing about technology is you can build in so many checks and balances. So it really will reduce the number of errors that are, are in the forecast. As you mentioned, Priscilla, using historical data to forecast the future, there's lots of technology out there that will do that to help us. But I really think to have a really good forecast, uh, it's the work of a village. And the very first thing that you need to do is understand the gaps between what you have and what you like. And I think when we look back at what Brian was talking about, you know, we figure out clearly define what the current state is who owns what, who has what, when are we getting it? How are we getting it? We can start with a scorecard and and those scores will probably be relatively low. And then we build the roadmap that's going to help us figure out how it is that we're going to get to the forecast that we would ultimately like. And the work that we've done in terms of standardizing templates and processes probably is going to come in very handy here because uh, we've got a bunch of that work done up front and now it can just be automated and, and used very quickly. Uh, Once we have the roadmap, we can start working our way down it, but we can start to look at the KPIs and see that the effort that we're putting into it is being reflected in the accuracy of the forecast. And we'll see that there are less variances. We're having better communication with the business groups. We have people giving us information when we want to. And maybe the the divide between the FP&A forecast being a planning tool and the cash forecast being an execution tool, maybe it's, it's not quite a wide divide anymore. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the era of automation is here and we should benefit from that, right? Ideally, it, does n- it would not be a process that we are constantly waiting on someone else. We're just using the data that is available. We are connecting and People are making things available and more streamlined. There's so many ways of uh, of uh, collaborating, and I think we just need to optimize that and build the right processes to make it faster and more accurate as well. But well, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Brian. And that's our end of our cash forecasting podcast. For more information about Actualize, please uh, do reach out. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Actualizing Success. Make sure to visit us online at www.actualizeconsulting.com where you can explore our service offerings. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred platform. If you've enjoyed what we talked about today, please consider leaving a review and following us on LinkedIn. If you have any questions or would like to share your opinions with us, please send us a note at podcast at We look forward to hearing from you.